This is FM 100.5, 101.9, AM 1450, and WGNSRadio.com. Rutherford County's Place to Talk. Hip, hip, hooray, let's give a cheer. It's 9 a.m., the signal's clear. Our favorite host is in the chair. The Truman Show is on the air. It's The Truman Show with Truman Jones. A look at the politics, news, sports, and people that are shaping Rutherford County. The Truman Show is on the air. The Truman Show is on the air. Now from Adams Place on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. Here's Truman Jones. Good morning, Rutherford County. It's an absolutely gorgeous day. If you you're like not coming heat, through. <laughs> you're not coming through. Mm-hmm. You're. I can hear you. You're all right. Uh, you know that yesterday was Mel Brooks's birthday. Can you believe it? He's 95 years old. He's unbelievable, and. Uh, all, all the crazy movies that he made over the years, I don't think there's ever been a uh, writer that uh, reached out to so many people with so many crazy ideas. I mean, he was unbelievable. He made some movies most people couldn't have made. Yes, he did. He, and, and he got away with it, you yeah. might say. Uh, uh, what's that one that was uh, made he, made out west and... and uh, you sit there and listen, and it, blazing saddles. Blazing saddles. It's just absolutely hilarious. But then you you get to thinking, how in the world did he get away with all of this? Only he could have done it. He did a movie. Uh, it first came out springtime for Hitler. Yeah. And then yeah. they they changed the name of it to the producers. <laughs> and, High Anxiety was a crazy movie, yeah. and and I think the, maybe the one that caught my attention more than any other was Young Frankenstein. Yes, <laughs> and uh, it was I, I could sit there all day and just ma- watch the same movie over and over. A lot over. of subtle jokes in there. That yeah, you have, you have to you don't catch them the first time through. No, <clears throat> no. What in the world is going on with gasoline here, Paul? Paul DeHoff. It, it's uh. It just seems like the cost is going up day by day. Is it because of the decisions that's been made in in uh, Washington, or or what exactly? Because you've worked with uh, petroleum uh, with oil, and uh, yeah. and uh, it, everything seems to be changing right now. And why in the world would we want to get away from gas automobiles? Well, the uh, I started working in the oil and gas industry in 1981. And uh, been pretty well consistent with that since then. Mm-hmm. Uh, worked for major oil companies, and uh, the gasoline market goes up and down. But it's affected by a variety of things. You know, uh, killing the XL pipeline um, re- reduces the amount of available product to and refine made, on made, the coast. Made no sense whatsoever for me. And uh, you know, we got another pipeline up there now. They're trying to kill. It's yeah. uh, almost finished. But the uh, the transport of gas is and oil, gasoline and oil and petroleum products, it's either going to be by rail or by pipeline. Mm-hmm. And uh, Warren Buffett invested heavily in rail because yeah. he thought that was the way to do it and everything else. And they had that huge 
uh, rail accident that burned a lot of petroleum cars up. I believe it was in Pennsylvania. Yeah. And um, pipeline is by far the safest to do, but some of our pipelines are reaching their their limit at 50, 60 years, and they need to be replaced. Yeah. And uh, so the new pipelines are much more improved, but they're they're very effective, and uh, they bring the refinery products in, and <clears throat> we. Uh, have most of our refineries are concentrated on the Gulf Coast. Mm -hmm. Not all of them, but most of them. And with that, they bring in the product and then they refine it and produce it. And they'll crack the oil anywhere from the oil and natural gas. And it'll, it'll make anything from light salad vegetable oil mm -hmm. all the way down to asphalt crude that you use in shingles and tar. Yeah, and it just depends on the quality of the oil coming in, and and uh, I've seen wells come in with the oil oil coming out just look like 10W30 weight. I mean, just beautiful brown oil looked like you didn't even need to refine it. But uh, others have to be more refined. And if you have poison gas oil, if you have uh, hydrogen sulfide in it, then you got to refine that a lot more. But natural gas is a great product in terms of uh, providing heat and fuel yeah. and everything else. It, it's done really well. But gasoline prices go up as transportation costs go up. Of course, part of the transportation costs are, are the gasoline itself that they're burning to get tankers there. Mm -hmm. And uh, then when you have limited pipeline capability, it was uh, quite a deal. Years ago, when they had a natural gas shortage in the northeast in New York in that area mm -hmm. they were screaming for Texas and Mississippi to send natural gas to them up there which yeah. is now we know the colonial pipeline route now and uh, people in Texas and the Gulf Coast weren't real weren't real sympathetic toward it they said no no because they just you know they just denied them drilling off the coast of New York and New Jersey and some of those areas because it it might foul their beaches and this that and the other which it can temporarily but not not on a permanent basis and it's extremely effective and and uh, environmentally very uh, they take a lot of consideration into what's going on with it but you know their attitude was look you don't want to you don't want to drill off your coast why should we you say, well, you drill off yours and, and mess your stuff up and then ship it to us. And said, no, just freeze up there. You know, and of course, we didn't do that. We sent it to, sent it to them. But, That's but, not unusual for a place like New York or L.A. or some of the, those uh, that are, are so populated. Uh, they want everything their own way. And then you look at the rest of the country and and why we, we fall into that trap, I'll never know. It doesn't make any sense. It was either, uh, it's been too long, I can't remember. It was either Santa Monica or uh, along the California coast there. It could have been, anyway, wh where was it was. Was it further south towards uh, San Diego? No, uh, it was up, up north of Los Angeles and... Uh -huh. uh, they uh, they outlawed all petroleum products in the county for production or use. So you couldn't have a gas station. You couldn't you couldn't transport uh, trucks through it. You couldn't do anything else. And but at the same time, they want to keep their cars and they want to you know go fill their cars up and bring them back in and this that and the other. And it's like you got to have a balance in there. Yeah. 
because they're without the balance. Uh, and, you know, there are times when oil companies uh, could go overboard if you don't keep them in line. But uh, we've got plenty to keep them in line. You know, it's one of the things that's interesting, Paul, and, and you probably know more than anybody down through here, the cost of gas is different in every state. And right here in Middle Tennessee, Rutherford County, is one of the cheapest places anywhere in the world to have gas. We've, we've been blessed down here. Um, why, why would that be? Uh, because I is there uh, uh, some type of uh, line that comes closer to us, a pipeline, or, or is it strictly through the railroad? No, no, they're they're pipeline deliveries, but uh, you have tanker truck deliveries also, of course, yeah. tanker trucks. But the uh, thing that's interesting is that um, <clears throat> gasoline. Different states have different requirements for the additives and blend of gasoline. For example, in California, they have to have a wintertime blend when in certain season when temperatures are lower, mm -hmm. and then in spring they have to transfer to a different blend for summertime yeah so each of those blends and additives that they put in or take out as the case may be uh increases the cost of the gasoline mm -hmm. in doing it and that's why you find gas a lot more expensive in some states than others tennessee also every state has its state gasoline tax mm -hmm. which has primarily been used for road taxes uh, road use and one of the things that electric cars that they were concerned about is if you if you go electric, then you have no road tax on any any of that electricity. Yeah. And they're talking about putting a road tax on on electricity use strictly to support the infrastructure and roads. But uh, you know the gas tax has provided well, the support for building roads and bridges and that sort of stuff all across the land. But it varies. It does vary from state to state. It's interesting that in when I was living in Houston. Sometimes the prices in Houston would be higher, right there where near where the refineries are, prices would be higher than other places. Hmm. And you're like, well, why would that be? And the reason is because it's a big urban area, and they can charge more, and they do. And uh, they ship the gasoline out to other places and, and get it to them. <clears throat> and then, you know, whatever the market will bear, within reason, is what they charge on it. So it's higher in some areas and lower in others. I would say that most people who live in areas where cars are absolutely needed, automobiles, uh, I, I would say that their mentality is more in staying with, with the gasoline industry, I would think. And that, that's something that I don't really want to change. You know, we, 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 we grew up, my, my uh, generation grew up driving when we were 16 years, actually even before then. And change doesn't come easy for us. It, it really doesn't. It does not. And the uh, it's interesting that you have Europeans are always like, well, y'all need more mass transit, and you need well, you can't put mass transit to go out to all of the places in in America where the rural parties live. Yeah. Um, and they have no, you know, you can take a map of Texas and overlay it on Europe, <laughs> and it just about covers all of Europe, yeah. one state. And so when when Europeans talk about a lot of these things, they have no no personal concept of the distances and areas that are the massive uh, 
land areas that are in the United States yeah. as compared to uh, Europe. You, you get in a car in Europe, you know, and you drive, you're going to go through three, four, five countries. Here, I could leave Midland, Texas, and 500 miles later, I hadn't even gotten out of the state of Texas. So. I think that's a mental condition that that we all have. We think everything should be like we've got it in in our particular area, and, and nothing is the same. It it just we we don't seem to be able to rationalize the needs for other people and compare it with ours. Yeah, the uh, you know between here and Nashville Interstate 24, there were all sorts of trees and forest areas and everything in the median. Mm -hmm. Uh, between here and Nashville, and then the state came through and they started logging all of that wood, taking all that wood down and clearing it out. And that was actually in anticipation of a of a railway rail line running from Murfreesboro to Nashville. Mm -hmm. As it turned out, instead of coming down I-24, it followed I-40 and went to Lebanon, Tennessee, yeah. and uh, that area. And so they have that. Uh, rail line that runs over there in and out and they'll have car park areas and people ride the train in and then come back and ride the train out but well you, you think back to the 1860s and then you you kind of compare a little bit about you know our needs here the united states is so large and everything is so different it's it's hard to put everybody into one pot trying to take care of all of them, and it, it's it's a I, I can't even imagine how we've been able to stay um, at this level for so long. Cohesion, it, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. We do have a caller on the line. Caller, welcome aboard with Paul DeHoff. Uh, how's it going, guys? I just want to say I don't know if you guys saw. I'm sure you saw it. It's been a while back. VW did it too, um, and Ford and GM. I know GM. I think did it here in Europe. But by 2035, there's going to be they're not going to produce any more motors in the cars. So, so electric, electric, and wind and solar, always different forms of energy. That's the future of American energy. It's not gas, oil, and coal. That's going to go out the way of the horse and buggy. That's what's going to happen. And they'll figure out, the people's going to figure out about taxing the roads or whatever. They'll figure something out to do it. And Because I've got great nieces and great nephews right now. In their lifetime, when they drive, it might not be in my lifetime, but they're going to pull up to the station and they won't get gas. They're going to charge their car up and go three or 400 miles and they'll charge it up again. And that's the future of American energy. I know you guys don't want to see it or hear it, but that's the future. That's the future of America. Because it's cleaner. And, and a lot clearer than gas, oil, and coal. So I just want to leave that with you and see what you guys think about that. Have a good day. Thank you. Well, there's so many. It, it, it's hard to say what the future of transportation is going to be because, you, you know, we've seen it change so many times. And there's so many factors. Uh, if you do away with the trucking industry, cross going down the interstate, the trucking industry uh, – almost pays for our roadway with the taxes that that uh, they have to contribute and so many other things and uh, um, I'm not too sure that what he's saying may be accurate it, it, it we are improving our electrical systems that we have and the yeah. batteries that we have and that sort of thing but at this point 
you cannot produce that electrical material without hydrocarbons. Yeah. Without using uh, furnaces to make the metal and and uh, process the ore and and uh, supply the parts and everything else for it, that all takes uh, oil and gas support and coal. Mm-hmm. And so, what he's talking about, um, there may be a wider use of cars, and certainly they will improve them between now and then. But you don't pull into a gas station and and plug your electric car up, and uh, ten minutes later, after you fill the gas tank, take off. Yeah, it's got to charge a certain amount of time. Yeah. So you know you're gonna you're gonna have to spend some time there and and take a break and whatever else because anytime you get over that over that mileage limit, which for some cars is 200 miles, and if you're going more than 200 miles, you're gonna have to su- spend a substantial amount of time. Uh, putting a charge on the car each time if you can find a place to do it and those will increase as time goes on but the um, wind energy for example unless it's changed recently and I don't think it has there is nothing that can be done to recycle those big blades that they have Mm -hmm. Um, they have to produce those blades a lot of them produced in, in overseas they bring them in, they use them, and when they're finished, there's no market for you can't reclaim them reasonably, you can't redo them. So they, you know, they just take them down and take them out and bury them somewhere. That's all you can do with them. And so the recycle part of that clean energy thing, the environmental impact statement, has been significant as time goes on, mm-hmm. and particularly early on when they had the wind, uh, the windmills, the uh, the wind turbines. There were a lot of, uh, I know in, where we live in California, they put them right on the ridge line, and they weren't thinking about migratory birds when they did that. And migratory birds would come ripping over the ridge line and fly into those blades and just be a bloody mess up there. Yeah. A- animals, coyotes, that sort of thing, they didn't have to go find a place to eat. They just went up under the wind turbines and ate, ate what was there. And... Uh, they tried painting them different colors, and they tried doing other stuff. And they have slowed them up now reasonably, but, I mean, the, the tip of those blades spinning around, those big blades you see, some of those tips are doing over 100 miles an hour. Mm-hmm. And if something gets hit by that blade, it's done. So it does have an impact on the environment, and uh, you've got a problem with what are we going to do when the blades are worn out uh, after a number of years, and you can't just, you know, you can't just chop them up and put them in a landfill somewhere. And then, do uh, you think the the gas industry is looking at maybe in the United States itself? It's the car industry. Would would it be kind of sectioned off uh, in the future, where gasoline would be the main product for uh, the cars that were being built for certain parts of the United States because of all the travel? That would be there in, in the cost of of uh, having um, all of those uh, uh, electric uh, supports built across the country. Um, I know it's always, you know, what am I going to be making now? But it, but they've got to be looking at 25 and 30 years, and and I yeah, just and wonder being- how it's going to affect the country as a whole. And they're being forced to do some things with an artificial mandate. Uh, This, you know, years ago, 
um, a lot of cars went to, you could sit on a car hood or a car trunk, and there was no problem with two or three of you, you know, laying out there to drive in, no, no big deal. Yeah. You do that now, you're going to dent the hood because it's very, it's very thin metal. Mm -hmm. And they've done that to reduce the weight to meet that mileage requirement that's out there. Does that, that and, I, does that affect the safety of the car? Eh. Well, it, it, obviously, it's not as, <laughs> it's not as, uh, it's more susceptible to crashes yeah. and what's going on, but they have, but they have offset that with built-in crash points. Uh, it's much easier to total a car now than it used to be. Yeah. You know, I've, I've, I've seen things where you hit, you hit somebody's rear bumper, uh, you've hit the trailer hitch, and it didn't affect the, the, the bumper or the car at all mm -hmm. on the older cars. On the new ones, you'd have a collapse. Uh, of the front end and total the car out essentially. Yeah. So there is a difference and it's a trade-off with the safety factors. But um, the heavier cars, of course, use more gas. Uh, they they don't get the gas mileage that the that some of the newer ones get. But having that lighter uh, car does make a difference in some of the safety things. Yeah. I've noticed that the car that I've got now, it's listed as. Uh, but uh, almost 30 miles per gallon that wow. I get for, for gas, and I, I'll take that any day. All right, we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Paul DeHoff. Need a break from the sound bites and the talking heads? Do you want information you can actually use? Information that'll change your life for the better? Then listen to the Dell Wamsley Radio Show. Dell will show you how to retire in two to five years. Your age doesn't matter. Turn off the pundits and turn on the passive income. Tune in to the Dell Walmsley Radio Show. The Dell Walmsley Radio Show, Monday through Saturday, 11 to noon, right here on News Radio WGNS. This is Kim Dunaway from Sunshine Nutrition Center. You hear me on Monday mornings at 7.20 talking about how to lead a healthier lifestyle. We carry supplements, personal care, and grocery items at both our Murfreesboro and Smyrna locations, family-owned and operated since 1989. With Bell Jewelers, we have the perfect gift for your graduate. Longine and Seiko watches that can be engraved and personalized to any kind of engraved picture frame, charms. We have all price points, Pandora jewelry for your graduate. We have the perfect gift for your graduate. That's Bell Jewelers, 821 Northwest Broad Street in Murfreesboro, across the street from Toots Restaurant. Hey gentlemen, it's Scott. Make your health a priority with a quick and easy health assessment at Low T Center. You know, they exclusively specialize in men's wellness and they follow strict medical guidelines for your health and safety. And they are one of the leading men's medical providers in the entire country. Low T Center has literally reinvented the doctor's visit, making it quick and easy to get all your levels checked, not just your testosterone. It all starts with an annual wellness exam where they do a comprehensive health assessment so you know all of the numbers important to your health. If you've been feeling tired, grumpy, notice weight gain and loss of muscle mass, these could all be signs of low testosterone levels, low thyroid, or even sleep apnea. Low T Center can determine the cause and help. And now they offer monitored self-inject at-home testosterone treatments for $135 a month, self-pay, or covered by most health insurance. Book your annual wellness exam today. Go to LowTCenter.com. 
Low T Center, reinventing men's health care. Here at Bud's Tire, we make buying Michelin tires simpler. I'm Allison Mitchell with Bud's Tire Pros. We offer a straightforward approach to service, including nationwide warranties with every purchase. Stop in today to see our full lineup of Michelin and BF Goodrich tires. For whatever you drive, Michelin and BF Goodrich have a tire to fit any need. Bud's Tire Pros, hassle-free, guaranteed. We're located on East Main Street, exactly three miles from the town square, one mile past Rutherford Boulevard. Visit us online at BudsTireProsTN.com. Now an update from the WGNSRadio.com News Center. I'm Ron Jordan. Police in Murfreesboro are asking you to be on the lookout for a suspect who detectives say stole money from a cash deposit bag. A suspect was captured on surveillance cameras allegedly distracting a clerk at the Dollar General on South Church Street and reportedly stealing $200 from the bank deposit bag. The clerk did not realize what had taken place because the subject did not take the entire bank bag, only money from the bag. Suspect reportedly left the building in a white-colored car. You'll find his picture along with instructions on who to call if you see him posted on our website, WGNSRadio.com. Chris Harris is named new full-time athletic director for Rutherford County Schools. He's been an educator for more than 30 years and most recently taught U.S. history at Siegel. He served as assistant basketball coach at Gallatin, Smyrna, and Riverdale before serving as head coach at Holloway for a year before being named the head coach at Siegel High School. Harris succeeds Tim Tackett, who served as part-time athletic director for the district since 2013. Several new laws protecting children are set to take effect July 1st in Tennessee. That includes major truth in sentencing legislation, ensuring parole and probation are not options for those found guilty of certain violent crimes that historically target women and children. These crimes include child abuse, child sex abuse, felony solicitation of a minor, and producing child pornography. It's sponsored by Lieutenant Governor Randy McNally and Judiciary Committee Chairman Mike Bell of Riceville in the Tennessee Senate. Socialize with us on social media. Log on to Facebook.com slash WGNS Radio and click the like button. Or follow us on Twitter at WGNS Radio. I'm Ron Jordan reporting. News updates around the clock when it breaks and on demand at WGNSRadio.com. We are News Radio WGNS. It's a slick pig barbecue. Spicy wings and Brunswick stew Everything made fresh for you At the Slick Pig Barbecue There's lean smoked turkey and chicken too Ribs so tender don't need to chew Well come on folks, I'm telling you It's a Slick Pig Barbecue In 1920 East Main, you're gonna love the pig The Slick Pig Barbecue a Murfreesboro tradition. Listen live to WGNS Radio on our website, and Alexa, or Google devices. Search WGNS Radio for on-demand podcasts in iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, and Stitcher. Plus, we have direct links to podcasts at WGNSRadio.com. Good neighbor weather. We'll see a few scattered showers and thunderstorms at times this afternoon, with partial sunshine developing a high in the low 90s. Winds out of the southwest around 5 to 10 miles per hour. I'm meteorologist Jennifer Wojcicki on News Radio. WGNS. Currently, it's 76. Premier 6 Theater on Broad and Jackson Heights, showing all of your favorite movies. Call their hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Popcorn, pop fresh daily. Their movie hotline, 896-4100, or go seeamovie.com. Premier 6 on Broad and Jackson Heights. From NHC's Adams Place, home of Premier Senior Living on Memorial Boulevard. 
It's the Truman Show on News Radio WGNS. FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com. And welcome back with Paul DeHoff. And, you know, I'm just thinking the, what we were talking about, you know, the future of gasoline and, and, and ele- electronics and things like that, electricity. But you're a long way. You're, you grew up a long way from all of those things. You were, um, your dad was one of the more famous uh, preachers that was ever here in our community, uh, pretty much across the country. He was involved in so many different things. And then you have the uh, DeHoff uh, uh, bookstore there that includes so many different things. Um, of all the things that y- you as a family member of the DeHoff family, um, what were the, some of the things that interested you more than anything else? Because I know that growing up with someone who was as dedicated as your dad was uh, to, the, to the Church of Christ mainly, um, uh, you had to have a lot of pressure on you during that time. Everybody always said, being a preacher's son is one of the toughest things to deal with. You do tend to have a little more scrutiny. Yeah. And a little more, uh, everybody's like, oh, I thought you were a preacher's son. You know, and, and you, that's... People look at you through a magnifying glass. Well, they do. And uh, the result of that is a lot of a lot of preacher's children are, are uh, they sort of have that duplicity back behind them which they try to keep under a low profile, yeah. um, as well as towing the line where they need to tow the line. Mm-hmm. But it, one of the interesting things that he did, uh, he first went to the Middle East in 1950 and was over there for 60 days. And he said as far as he knew, he had been to every place mentioned in the New Testament, from Dan in the north to Beersheba in the south, wow. in Israel in that area. And then I helped guide trips to the Middle East in the... 70s and early 80s and um, we we would go uh, we had two different types of tours one was what i'd call a shotgun tour where you'd go a lot of places not be there long but you'd get a sample of it tasting and we would do all the seven churches of asia uh go out of istanbul and then later out of izmir go over the isle of patmos where john wrote uh revelation um then drop down to damascus syria and uh, go see the street called Straight, those things, and then drive from there through the desert over to Amman, Jordan. Mm-hmm. Drop down from there down to the ancient city of Petra that's carved in the rocks that was in some of the Harrison Ford movies uh, where he's going through the canyon. Mm-hmm. Sees the thing. It's a fascinating area and uh, a lot of history in that. And the uh, Nabataeans built that city. They would come out and raid the caravans and then bring everybody back in. And... Uh, so it has Greek, Egyptian, and Roman architecture yeah. in what it's done all together. And then we would go down to Egypt and then go back through Athens. Uh, you go down to the Valley of the Kings and Luxor and go up in the pyramids and that sort of thing. And then we would come back through uh, Athens and uh, see the, the Acropolis there. And we were up on Mars Hill, which is a... There are 
traditional places and there are historic places. Yeah. Traditional places say, well, we think this is where things happen. Historical places are, it did happen here. You know, Jacob's Well, that's a historical place. Uh, some of the others, they, they're not sure about. Well, we were in Athens coming back, and we were on Mars Hill, and one of the guys with us said, nope, this is not Mars Hill. This is not where Paul gave his speech. Yeah. And we're like, well, yeah, this is a historic place. He said, no, no, because if it was real, it would have a Catholic church on top of it. And we all cracked up laughing. <laughs> it was like, well, that has happened in a lot of places. But and it was, and we'd come back through Rome. And uh, so they were good trips. They were very interesting trips. And it, people say, well, what'd you like best? And it, each area has its strengths and weaknesses. Mm -hmm. You know, there are things that are fascinating. And one of the, uh, we were flying from Cairo down to Luxor, and they were using 737s with the tail, the tail ladder that drops down mm -hmm. in the back. They give everybody a boarding pass. They have five flights. They leave 30 minutes apart. The boarding pass is not assigned to a particular flight. It's just whatever plane you happen to get on first, mm -hmm. you're in. And so... The first, they had this rope, they dropped the rope, and it was like a cattle stampede running for that ladder. And everybody gets in, and when they get full, then they shut it down. Everybody goes back and line up for the next one 30 minutes later. It, it was quite a boarding process. And uh, we're flying through there, and the pilot says, anybody wants to come up to the cockpit? You know, and I thought, well, I'm going to do this, you know. And you had the Libyan desert on the, on the right and the uh, Arabian desert on the left. It was just incredibly impressive seeing all that uh, desert area out there as you're flying over it. What is the thing that causes so many uh, uh, different groups of people to be... It, it, is religion the number one uh, problem that pits one group against the other? Or it, it just doesn't seem... That's too simple. It seems like to me. Well, it's not the religion as such; it's the application of the religion. Yeah. Uh, and and the you can overdo the principles. You know, there are some people who get so strict on things that uh, they just you know there's no flexibility involved in it. Mm -hmm. And uh, and then there are religions which are dedicated to the destruction of other people. You know, there are portions of religions that say so your job is to kill anyone who doesn't believe this, and that's a that's a tough group. And um, that's, that's is that primarily the Muslim? There are Muslim sects, sects that do that. Yeah. Yes, and and they have, uh, you know, anyone who's not a Muslim is an infidel, and their job is to kill infidels. And even if someone is adopted out of uh, when when was that one first adopted? The Muslim religion. I'm going to say the 600s. Uh, Muhammad lived around 600 A.D. And uh, that's another thing that's kind of interesting. They're, <clears throat> they're going through a lot of the archaeological and scientific communities trying to go through a change. Well, they've done it in a lot of areas. Mm -hmm. Instead of using B.C., before Christ, and yeah. A.D., they're using B.C.E. And it's, it, before the, it used to be before the Christian era, mm -hmm. but then they didn't want to acknowledge Christians, so they, they now call it before the common era. So they'll say 500 B.C., they'll say 500 B.C.E. And then for A.D., they use the term C.E., 
meaning common era. Mm -hmm. And uh, there's no reason in the world for doing that other than to get away from any reference to Christ, uh, the Christ as the, as the calendar uh, marker in AC and DC, BC. Yeah. Uh, well, well, it, it just, um, I know that I, I would say most people that uh, become Christians, they read the Bible uh, all the way from, especially uh, the New Testament. And But there are also uh, things that call attention to Christ before the New Testament. Uh, but if you're reading something like the Koran, and, and it, it it's it, it's not a hidden part in there that uh, if if someone does not go along with your particular belief, then um, they are infidels, and and uh, there are times when it tells you to do things to those to the other people, the Christians and the, and the Jews and things like that. So um, it, we, I would presume that most people who belong to the Muslim religion do read the, the Koran, I, I would think, before they become active members or whatever. Well, they grow up with it. And yeah. um, under the Muslim religion, and I'm no expert on it, but I'm familiar with some of it, um, it is not... It is a an adulteration of the Quran to translate it out of Arabic. Yeah. So, technically speaking, you're not allowed to have an English translation of it, uh, although English translations are done, obviously. Yeah. But you have to learn the Arabic in order to do it genuinely in the original tongue. Mm -hmm. And then um, the use of the Quran has been widely interpreted and misinterpreted in some things, but, you know, other people are more zealous in their application of what's there. And others would say, well, that maybe was then, but not so much now. But uh, it's a difficult thing to deal with. My, my dad used to say that sometimes you'll have people come up with something, and he said they're just, they're itching to fight about something or have a uh, an argument about something, you know, and somebody come up and say, well, I don't believe in God, you know. He'd say, well, that's very interesting. And it makes him mad because he doesn't argue with him about it. Yeah. You know, he just, he's hes not going to get into a frivolous argument about it. But when he, he said very interesting, when you say it's very interesting, it acknowledges what they said. It doesn't ignore them. Mm -hmm. But it's totally neutral. Doesn't say yes, doesn't say no. Just says, you know, it's very interesting. And then you just go on. And uh, it'll make some people mad that you don't embrace their arguments that they're trying to do. Well, the new church, where the Church of Christ used to be on Manchester Highway here in town. Right. Um, they are Christians. They're, they are Coptic Christians. Yeah. Uh, uh, St. Caius Orthodox Coptic Church. Yeah. And uh, the Coptic Church, of course... From Egypt, I think. Yes, originally from, from Egypt, and yeah. it's a little bit of a mystery as to how they started. Some of the legends are that the Ethiopian eunuch was responsible for starting the Coptic Church, mm -hmm. and they they have been severely persecuted in Egypt and other areas because they're not Muslim. Yeah, and that's one of the reasons that they left Egypt, came to the United States. They wanted to be free in their religion and what they were doing. It's a very old church. They do teach 
uh, you know, they teach baptism they, uh, by immersion. They uh, have a priesthood that they, they follow. Mm -hmm. But uh, there are a number, a large number of churches uh, uh, that are spread all the way across the United States. And I never heard of them until they moved here, which I thought yeah. was quite interesting. Yeah, there's an interesting book called Handbook of Denominations, mm -hmm. um, which profiles like 17 or 1800 denominations and groups in the United States. Mm -hmm. And you can flip it open there and, and read about that group. And it gives a summary, and it's pretty objective, and it's not, you know, it doesn't condemn it or, or endorse it. It just says, here's what they teach. Yeah. And it's an extremely uh, well written book. And it, uh, you know, it. it I was flipping through it one time and had 27 different listings under Baptist churches. Mm -hmm. Okay, because you have Primitive Baptists on one end, you have other Baptists that are not as conservative on on other ends, and things in between. And uh, you know, it'll have United Church of Christ. And somebody used to ask ask my dad to say, "Are are y'all part of the United Church of Christ?" And dad said, "Well, no. I can virtually guarantee you that there's not a lot of things we've been united on. You know, so yeah. making a joke out of it." But uh, there, and there's a Church of Christ Boston now, which Kip Hadley started years ago. Uh, Kip uh, McKean started years ago, mm -hmm. and uh, it's a totally separate group at this point. Uh, they do their own thing, but you can, you know, if you're dealing with someone who's Jewish or Orthodox or Muslim, you can flip that thing open and read it and have an understanding of where they're coming from, probably where they're coming from, and and what their belief system is. And uh, it does help tremendously in understanding their their viewpoint and what they're doing. It's I found it to be a very useful re resource book. Yeah. Well, in, in a lot of cases, they're not a world of difference, say. Uh, but I think that, like our church, uh, the Church of Christ in, in Crescent. Uh, Basically, you know, we're strong believers in Christ and what what he has meant to us as far as God <laughs> loving us so much that he sent his son uh, down here to earth to, to pretty much pay for our sins. And uh, it's, it's mostly about love. It's strong love that God has given us and Jesus has given us and, and we're supposed to reach out to others with that love and, and uh, I mean how could you walk away from something like that of course I was born in the church of Christ and, and uh, there's so many variables I guess you can say when you get from one one religious group to the other yeah even within the church of Christ you have uh, an ultra conservative segment of it um, called Annie's sometimes called Annie's I call them usually ultra conservative they're more strict and tight in what they do, you know. And then you have groups that are more liberal that, are, that still use the name Church of Christ. Some of them in Tulsa, where we were, they one congregation dropped the name Church of Christ because they didn't want the stigma attached to what it. What kind of stigma I, would that be? Well, I, I don't know what what it was, but whatever it was, they they wanted. Not every church is going is is going to follow not, the same steps as another church. Not every congregation, yes. even within the church. Yeah. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was interesting, and then 
some of them took the name off and they just say you know a a uh, church serving whatever community you know Mm -hmm. and so it's the interpretation and understanding of it is is uh widely varied Mm -hmm. in different areas and so when you talk about a church and what they're doing uh the church is not the building of course that's true uh, it's it's the people. There used to be a, a Charlie Brown cartoon. Yeah. He's standing on the pitcher's mound and he's he's uh all his clothes has been blasted off. And Somebody he's got hit his, a home run. Got his shorts him. on something <laughs> or other. And, and underneath it says there is no heavier burden than a great potential. Yeah. You know, but in the course of in the course of churches, um, it's just a matter of of being flexible to understand and we don't have to have an acid tongue on everything that comes out no. you know it's, it's not our job to correct everybody on everything um it's our job actually we're not we're not supposed to be uh judging other people well uh three judge righteous judgment yeah and so you know like if somebody's killed something so well you're a murderer well you've judged me no i haven't judged you the word has already judged you the word says you commit murder you're a murderer yeah. I don't do that. That's what the word says. And uh, so that interpretation sometimes is varied. But it's interesting that, uh, you know, people try to get along and try to be flexible enough to get along. And you have some people that walk around with their stingers out and uh, understand that uh, another Charlie Brown cartoon said, it, I love humanity. It's people I can't stand. <laughs> and. So sometimes I, I would phrase that, and I would say, I love the church, it's the yeah. members I can't stand. But, but that's not entirely correct, of course. Uh, that's a joke. But, but uh, you'll have members that are just like, that, that's not it, you know? So. How many of us walk around on this earth that have never sinned? Yeah. I, um, I believe that's zero. Yeah. Of all the billions of people that live on this earth, we've all sinned. And it, it, it's just the way that um, um, we were made, you might say. And it's up to us to to uh, pretty much fight our way back to being a better person than they, than we were before. And it, it's it's a very difficult task to to uh, walk your uh, way through life in a righteous way. It's, it's a very difficult thing. It's interesting that the Bible is a book of contrasts. And, it, for example, what washes you whiter than snow, according to the Bible? Blood. Mm-hmm. How can blood, which is red, make you white? And, yeah. and it's an interesting analogy that God used in terms of doing that, that you're washed in his blood and that makes you white. Uh, uh, it, it purifies you, yeah. you know, uh, and so we uh, we have a we have a number of contrasts. There are things which God does and uses, which are to us, if you put it in a in a scientific physical sense, wouldn't make sense. And there are things that are scientific, which are not based on science. They're based on opinions. They're based on theories. Well, this is an accepted theory, yeah. but there's there's really no no conflict between uh, well, I would say no material conflict between the New Testament and the Old Testament and science. Yeah. Uh, there's a there's a difference in approaches there, and people want to say, well, you know, we all came from 
uh, some little germ that landed on Earth, and everybody came from that germ. Uh, it's an interesting approach, but you can never prove that. That's a theory. Yeah. You know. It's hard. To, it's very difficult to interpret parables, isn't it? I, some some of them are pretty clear. <laughs> yeah, but it's it's not always easy. It's, it it's, it's the intent of where it's going, I guess. Yes. And uh, it it's a it's an amazing thing to well, be a preacher is is uh, at at the level that your dad was and a lot of people around here. That had to be a difficult process of learning every day. It was his opinion that an effective gospel minister does a wide variety of things. Mm -hmm. For example, he was he was in the Rotary Club. He was a district governor for Rotary International. That's a great club. It really is. And he, um, you know, he worked with Rotary and and what they were doing. They they had instances where hostages were taken in Africa, mm -hmm. and the only reason they got them back from Idi Amin was because the Rotary Club people intervened. Wow. And got them out. And uh, the the he was elected to. Uh, district governor in Sydney, Australia mm -hmm. when they had the international convention there and then uh, served that year and, and he, he wrote a book on it called The District Governor in Action he said being a book publisher and a printer he said why wouldn't it make sense for me to talk about this year and what went on with it and all the things that were going on and, and uh he, he gave that book away, gave hundreds of copies away for people to, you know, learn about Rotary and what Rotary was doing. And, of course, it was a, it was, it was largely a me, me, me book because he's talking about himself and what he did. But it was fascinating to see the programs and the things that they worked with and what did they do. They had to visit every club in the district, which were dozens and dozens and dozens of clubs. Mm -hmm. And uh, he, would, he would drive to them and, you know, meet with them at least once during his session. But it, uh, he did a, he owned a publishing company, a printing company, started the high publications in 1939, moved into the building where we are now on Broad Street in 1954, and it's been there ever since. It is now the oldest business in Murfreesboro at the same location. Wow. Uh, Bell Jewelers was older when they were on Square, but then they moved out on Broad Street. Mm -hmm. um, Mullins Jewelers started in the 1920s. They were there for a long time, but they they're gone now. And uh, at 1954, we're the oldest business in the same location, as far as I know. Uh, I don't know of one that's uh, been there longer. Uh, City Cafe, of course, has been there a long time. Yeah. Uh, but um, that's a different type of business. But it's uh, it's been fascinating to render service. Uh, we we would ship packages back in the 50s and 60s before people even knew what mail order was, hardly. Yeah. We'd keep a count of the packages, and sometimes, some days would be 650 packages going out of that little little store down there all over the world. We'd send stuff to Ghana and West Africa and Japan and Australia and New Zealand. And, uh, What's the most popular Bible right now? It's it's surprising how much the King James Version is still used by a lot of people. Yeah. Uh, the King James Version is written at a 12th grade level, what would be a 12th grade level. To give you some perspective on that, Reader's Digest is written at a 7th grade level. So 
uh, Eudora Welty, the novelist from Mississippi who was very famous, she said that one of the tragedies for American speech and literature was the the uh, fading of the King James Bible. Because she said for most people that was the only high English that people were exposed to. Yeah. But because they were exposed to the King James Bible, that elevated their English and their speaking and everything else along the way. And she said when you took that out, they don't have that higher English exposure. And it's easy to back off of that once you learn it. But if you've never learned it, then you, you don't even know that it exists hardly. Mm-hmm. But a, a new international version, of course, was huge. But there are a number of others now in between uh, that are they're very effective. And there have been some paraphrases in the past that uh, some people wanted my dad to really condemn the living Bible uh, because it was uh, Kenneth Taylor made a paraphrase of the Bible. Mm-hmm. And he said, you know, if it gets people into studying the Bible and it, and it draws them in to read it, he said, it served a good purpose. And he said, and if it's not, he said, if it's not something that's going to be effective in the long run, 10 years from now, you'll be hard-pressed to find it. And, and sure enough, you know, it, it's pretty well faded out. You, you can find a living Bible somewhere, a uh, paraphrase, but uh, it's not generally used. And so translations come and they go, and there, you know, there's some advantages. For example, the King James talks about Jesus died as a propitiation for our friends, mm-hmm. for our, for our sins. And most of us have to pull out a dictionary to find out what propitiation means. You read the New International, and it says Jesus died as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Mm-hmm. And most people would understand atoning sacrifice more so than they would understand propitiation. I would say so. It, it's not quite, atoning sacrifice is not quite as full and deep as the word propitiation is, but it's a better understanding for most people. And that's the advantage of having different translations. You might yeah. you might look at one, and then you flip over another translation and read it, and you see see what the, the different approach to the translation is, and it can be very helpful. Um, yeah to have parallel translations or or even different translations in your house that you use from time to time. Well, I think that that each each type of Bible would probably uh, fit the individual that will be reading it. And, and I, 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 I see really as long as it follows the same path what you're reading... I, I, I see nothing really wrong about that. And there are different Bibles that people use at different stages of their life. You know, uh, there's some Bibles geared toward teenagers, a lot of pictures in them, uh, a lot of uh, simplistic language in it, uh, and and very useful for what it serves. Yeah. And uh, then you go on from there and people study more. And then commentaries on the Bible, uh, Barclay's commentary and uh, some of the others, old commentaries that people use. And my dad wrote a commentary on the whole Bible, six mm-hmm. volumes, um, using the King James translation. And uh, So I uh, presume that he preferred that for himself. Well, he used it. He used it. He, you know, he would read the heavy-duty German and Greek commentaries that were out there, but he yeah. said, I, I need something that some poor guy out in the middle of nowhere who doesn't really have that high an education... He can pick it up and read it and say, I understand that. I can take this and teach a class with it. You know. Yeah. Same thing with the Hoff's Bible Handbook. It has a summary of every book of the Bible 
in it, uh, anywhere from two pages to five pages. And it, it gives the history, the author, the background, a uh, summary of the book, a little outline of what the book does. And in just a couple of, you know, a couple of pages, you can, you can uh, get an overview of that book. You know, I've had people call me, uh, you know, 645. So-and-so was supposed to teach a class at 7, and they're not going to be there tonight. Can you take that class? Sure, I'll take it, you know. Mm -hmm. I pull out that DeHoff's Bible handbook, and I say, tonight we're going to do an overview of Luke. <laughs> you know, and I just take that book and teach right out of it. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's very convenient and very useful and very understandable. Not as sophisticated as some people. He would say, uh, my dad would have said, its greatest strength is its greatest weakness, and that is its brief. You know, and uh, gets right to I the point. I can certainly go along with that one. <laughs> so, You know, I can remember back when uh, Miss Mary Hall would sit on the very front pew of Science Hill Church of Christ, and uh, she j she just seemed to just take over the whole scene inside the church. <laughs> And I, and uh, I always thought it she was quite could sing a song. She <laughs> could sing a song, and when she felt like that the service is going too long, she would raise her hand and look at her watch, and the preacher knew it was time to quit. <laughs> yeah. So uh, my dad used to get when he did all his speeches for Rotary, and because he was a university president out in Idaho, and he he was uh, familiar with all of those things out there. And it was interesting when we were in Idaho, the uh, Senator Dorshak, the U.S. Senator, died mm -hmm. in office. Mm -hmm. Governor Smiley came to Albion and uh, asked Dad to accept appointment to the U.S. Senate to fulfill his term. And uh, somebody said, well, he would have had to run. I said, no, no, this is silver platter stuff. I mean, you know, you're, you're in. Mm -hmm. And he had just started working with the college out there, and he felt if he left, it would collapse, you know, which it would have. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he he turned it down, but he was really reluctant to turn it down. Yeah. You know, he would have thoroughly enjoyed being a U.S. senator, and that was the golden opportunity to do it. And he turned it down because he was working with the college and and the uh, Magic Valley Christian College, and trying to get a Dallas Harris and Ivan Harris from Boise, Idaho, were big factors in starting that. And uh, they were trying to get a Christian college in the Northwest started up and going. So it was not without expense sometimes that he stayed dedicated to his profession and what yeah. he was doing. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it really wouldn't mix too much in the U.S. Senate, I wouldn't think. <laughs> Thank you, you could, Paul. I enjoyed it. Well, it's, it's a good show, big it's boy. It's been interesting. Yeah, it has been interesting. All right, guys, we'll see you in the morning at 9. From NHC's Adams Place, home of premier senior living on Memorial Boulevard, it's The Truman Show on News Radio WGNS, FM 100.5 and 101.9, AM 1450, and streaming at WGNSRadio.com.